Well, it's a joy for us to gather together in person and online. Uh, I know that many of you had wonderful times of celebration yesterday. I do occasionally get on social media uh, and look at different pictures. I saw some of you uh, had a great time. Some of you were going to have a church discipline issue later. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, I know that y'all had a great time. Yesterday, uh, I had the privilege of having my granddaughter, Nora, uh, with us. There she is. Now, I knew that y'all wanted to see a picture of Nora, uh, but there she is, little Nora. She's about three months old, and uh, yesterday I got to hold Nora. We hosted Nora in our house. I know the parents were there too, but we hosted Nora uh, at our house, and uh, whenever they come over, it is my joy to be able to hold her. Uh, I love to watch the growth of little Nora. Uh, to watch her get stronger in different ways. I remember the first time I held her, uh, she uh, was, uh, you know, she, she couldn't hold her head up. She was uh, barely able to uh, do anything other than what, you know, newborn babies do. And, and now, three months later, just watching the progression that she has made, uh, she's able to move. She's able to, to move from side to side. You put her down, she'll, uh, be, and I know she's ahead of the curve. I know she's ahead of the curve, but she's, she's able to move from side to side. And uh, uh, I mean, in another couple of weeks, she'll be rolling onto her tummy. Uh, I love watching her grow stronger. Um, I know in the years ahead, she'll grow even more strong. She'll, she'll uh, be able to uh, take her father and her mother uh, to dance recitals all day long for a 10-minute little spot that she'll be dancing in. All day long for a 10-minute spot that she'll be dancing in. That's not an exaggeration. If you haven't been to a dance recital, that's exactly what's going to happen. But as a granddaddy, I'll be able to come at that 10-minute spot. I won't have to be there all day long, right? That's, that's what poppies get to do. Uh, but uh, she's going to be dancing. She'll, she, she, may, she may be in ballet and jumping and leaping. She may uh, play softball or baseball or football or soccer or field hockey. But as she grows stronger, she'll grow in running and jumping. Um, and she'll grow emotionally and she'll grow spiritually. And I look forward to watching my little granddaughter grow. But you know, that's not only for little granddaughters to grow. That's for us as well. In, in Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul takes us on a journey where the church grows stronger together. And it, it's about the church. It's not just about an individual in the church. When you look at Colossians chapter 2, you hear Paul agonizing over the strength of the church. The, he, he agonizes over the spiritual well-being of the church in Colossae, not just individuals, but the church at large. And I share in that same agony. I I agonize for the spiritual well-being of this church, that we would grow stronger together. Look at Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Paul writes, for I want you to know what a great conflict. Now, that term conflict is the Greek term from which we get agony. 
Uh, it, it means uh, a conflict in battle or, or, or conflict in a competition. It's a, a struggle. It's a fight. It's a, it's a determined sweating out the, the th- and, and, and sweating through the, the, the struggle in order to get to the goal. He says, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and as for, for as many as not seen my face in the flesh. Now, here is the agony, verse 2, and we're going to camp out mostly in verse 2. So he says, this is what I agonize about. This is what keeps me up at night. He says, I agonize that there, being the church, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasure, treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 4, so he, he, he talks about what he agonizes about, and, and verse 2 and 3 help us understand what gives us spiritual well-being, but why is Paul agonizing about it? Why? Well, verse 4 helps us understand. Verse 4 says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Now that term persuasive doesn't necessarily carry uh, in the English language a, a negative connotation. In some ways, I'm trying to use persuasive language uh, to lead us together as followers of Christ to, uh, to grow stronger together. So there's persuasion that I'm using. But in this context and this Greek word, it's not used in a positive sense. This context and this Greek word is used uh, like a, uh, um, I've got to be careful, a snake oil salesman using slick words and deceptive practices in order to get you to buy something, okay? I was going to say a car salesman, but I thought that might hit too close. Or some would just, well, you mean like a preacher? Yeah, okay, all right. Uh, But it's whenever you're using smooth words, smooth talk in order to get people to buy something and use it in a deceptive way or buy something false, okay? So, he's saying, I I say this lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing. So, that rejoicing that Paul has is he's looking forward to the day when he'll see them face to face or hear a good report about them, that they've grown stronger. And that idea of stronger is reflected at the second part of verse 5, that that rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. That idea of good order and steadfastness of faith. I I was never in the military, um, uh, but I I know by watching movies and and talking to uh, some uh, of you that that whenever the the ranking officer comes and you're supposed to line up and get in order and you're in a, uh, a you're in a line don't know what that's called muster out or something I don't know uh, I don't know what it is but y'all get in a line and and the the commanding officer reviews the troops or whatever um, that is the military language that Paul is using here he's using the imagery of the military. Uh, to say, use it in a different way, it's, it's what would happen when I was uh, playing football. Uh, 
peewee football, when I was playing football, and y'all, I'm so glad you're here. I just can't tell you. I can't tell you. It's tough telling a joke to an empty room, right? It's hard. I'm so glad you're here. Anyway, and I'm glad you're here online as well. I really am. I know you're laughing at home, right? Uh, but but uh, when I played football, you would have uh, the, the calisthenics or the exercises that, that you would do and, and, and the squat thrusts and the, and the running lines, and, and you would get in an orderly line, and everybody would have to do the exercise. And if you got out of order, then the coach would come and yell at you a little bit to uh, pick up your pace or to get back in order in order to, uh, to be prepared for the game that you're going to play. So, so there, that's the picture that Paul is using. He's saying, I want you to become stronger. I want you to become strong and steady so that whatever might come your way, whether it's deceptive uh, practices of persuasive words of a false teaching that seeks to lead you away from Jesus, or, or whether it's it's uh, some attack like a pandemic in the middle of 2020, uh, whatever may come your way, I'm, I'm praying that you would be made stronger. I'm agonizing over it. And that's, that's, that's the pastor's heart for the people. It's a pastor's heart for the church. And, and, and as we look at this passage, God wants us to know how we can grow stronger together. Together. I know together is, is, is one of those phrases that we look at and, and we say, yeah, team, right? Uh, staff team, uh, First Norfolk team, yes, we are First Norfolk, yes, team. But, but the problem is that so many of us get captured in our own personal desires and ambitions that the team quickly gets lost. And Paul says, and God wants us to know that, no, growing stronger is a team sport. It's not an individual exercise alone. It is a team sport. So when I'm weak, I need you to help me be strong. And when you're weak, you need me to help you grow strong. And we need each other. And that's one of the great benefits of life groups and that small connection, especially during this time where we're not able to gather together. We get together in weird ways like this. We need that small group where we can gather together with friends and friends who are like family, and we grow stronger together in Christ Jesus. And we all rejoice together. So what Paul does, he says, all right, the reason I'm telling you all this is so that you grow stronger. And the reason I need you to grow stronger is because there are these people who are saying that Jesus is good, but he's just not enough. Have you ever heard that? That, that Jesus is good, but he's just not enough. You might say, well, you know, I studied philosophy in high school and college, and, and I know that there are people who say Jesus is good, but he's just not enough. But I don't hear that very often. Come on now. The truth is we've all lived that principle, that ideology. We've all lived that personally where, where, where we say Jesus is good. He's rescued me from hell, but he's not enough to satisfy my soul. I need something else. I need something more. I need something different. I, I, Jesus is good, but I need, I need a fifth of whiskey to satisfy my soul. Jesus is good, but I need a golf game every Friday to satisfy my soul. Jesus is good, but I need bluebell chocolate chip ice cream to satisfy my soul. We add to Jesus, and that's something of what the attack was on the church. And, and Paul said, I want you to be in line together, shoulder to shoulder, heart to heart, so that you are stronger and you're steady. 
in order to press on and know that Jesus is all we need. So how do we get stronger? What are the ingredients? What's the diet that we need to have that Paul portrays here? And we see it in verses 2 and 3, mostly verse 2. The first thing that we see is when Paul says uh, um, that your hearts may be encouraged. The first ingredient to experiencing strength together is that we find courage in community. We find courage in community. Uh, Again, Paul said that your hearts may be encouraged. Encourage. What is encourage? Well, it's the Greek term, uh, the verb for uh, parakaleo. It it means to call to to someone's side. It means to bring close together. It's the the noun uh, form of that uh, uh, parakaleo is paraklesis. It's the name given to the Holy Spirit by Jesus. He said, the Spirit, uh, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth will come. Uh, that's John 14, 15, and 16. Uh, it's the, the term we see in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, where Paul says, if there is any comfort or consolation in Christ. That's the noun, uh, that the, the, the parakaleo in Christ. He's, he's saying there is something that happens in the church where we find strength together. And that something that happens in the church is that we brought into community together as followers of Jesus. Now we're here, you are here, I am here to inspire and animate courage in you and you in me so that we press forward to accomplish God's purposes. Uh, yesterday, I was watching the ending of a movie that I really don't care that much about, but I, 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 was, uh, I, I always like the ending of many movies. Uh, because that's where the turnaround happens. Oh, the victory, right? And I always like the happy ending movies. I, I'm not a big fan of, 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 of sad ending movies. I'm a, I'm a, I don't want to cry at the end of a movie. I want to celebrate, right? And so this is one of those movies, The Mighty Ducks. I don't know if you've seen it, uh, but The Mighty Ducks. It's a story about a guy who is an attorney, and he gets lost in his profession and gets lost in his way. Uh, his name's Gordon Bombay, and, and uh, played by a Emilio Estevez. Uh, and, and, and so Gordon Bombay is the, co- uh, it, it, you know, is trying to find his way. He's made coach of this peewee hockey team. And it's a, the hockey team is a ragtag group of people, uh, of, of players, yeah, children who uh, really, they, uh, uh, they haven't won a game. Uh, they came close one time. They only lost by five points and they almost scored a goal. You know, they, they're just not the team that's going to beat anybody. Uh, but uh, as, as the story unfolds and the plot line thickens, you see that the team begin to gel and the, and, and the team really become a team and they, they begin to have a vision of victory. And, and, and it's, it's uh, described perfectly as, uh, as, as Coach Bombay uh, finds his way and really is wanting to inspire courage in his team. Uh, around that time, he finds a sponsor, and the sponsor wants the team to be called the Mighty Ducks. And the kids, you know, they want to be the Cobras. They want to be the, uh, 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 if you're a Redskin, they want to be the Griffins, because it's not going to be Redskins much longer. It, it, the, the, I, y'all aren't taking that as a joke, but as a Cowboys fan, I think it's a little bit funny. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, Griffin is a, you know, great little bird. But anyway, uh, it's a great little bird, great name. But, but you, you, they want to be the lions. They want to be, they, they want to be uh, uh, warriors, right? They, they don't want to be the ducks. And so Bombay uh, describes the new name. And, and I, want, I want you to hear this because this is, uh, this is finding courage in community. He says, have you guys ever seen a flock of ducks flying in perfect formation? It's beautiful. Pretty awesome the way they all stick together. Ducks never say die. Have you ever seen a duck fight? No way. Why? Because the other animals are afraid. They know if you mess with one duck, they gotta, they gotta deal with the whole flock of ducks. I'm proud to be a duck, and I'd be proud to fly with any one of you. So how about it? Who is a duck? Quack, quack. There you go. And, uh, here's the thing. What, what Bombay was doing, he's saying, we're stronger together. And when you are united together for a common purpose, that, there's something powerful that takes place there. Now, Paul says it more profoundly and a more profound subject. He's saying the church is a creation by God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself has called us to be part of this team. And he's given us his name so that we inspire and animate courage in one another to accomplish his purposes. We are here to encourage one another. The community is established to encourage, not just so we feel good about ourselves, but so that we press forward together to accomplish God's purpose. Are you an encourager? Are you inspiring courage in others? Or are you a discourager? You see, so often what happens in church is we say, yeah, I'm an encourager. Until something happens that you don't like or you don't want or whatever. And, and so you don't care about what that means for anybody else. What you do care about is you don't like it. And so you lob bombs over here and cast words over there. And it's not about the team. It's about your personal desires. And there are some uh, who gather with us, and they believe that they are God's gift of determining uh, the good and the bad in all things church. I know people with the gift of discernment, and usually those are not the people that have that kind of perspective. The gift of discernment is, is understanding the will of God. It's not understanding your own personal preferences. Anybody can do that. What tears churches apart and what causes us to be weak is when your church is not inspiring, members of the church are not inspiring courage in one another, but rather you're tearing each other down because people aren't behaving in a way that matches what you desire, what you prefer. And it should never be that way. What causes us to be strong together is when we inspire courage through the community that God gives us. Our hearts being encouraged. Are you an encourager? That's what makes us stronger. 
The second thing we see is that we experience community through the bond, the glue of love. Again, verse 2 says that not only should our hearts be encouraged, but also our, uh, our, uh, that we are knit together in love. Knitting together, that's a picture of community. It's where we come together as one unit, as one people. We've been brought here to this place to love each other and to love others. We've been brought here, and it's that love, that love that Jesus has poured out through his life and through his death and through his resurrection that he's poured into our hearts through his uh, rescuing uh, us from sin's embrace. It is his love that flows through us, that unites us together. It is love, and it's not that Hallmark movie, syrupy, sentimental kind of love that I like to watch and listen to. No, this kind of love, biblical love, is a sacrificial love. It's a love that pays the price. It's a love that gives up rights. It is a love of sacrifice. This is the love that is sometimes best described as others before self. And I want you to say that with me because you're in the room and I haven't talked to anybody for so long. (laughs) And at home, online, I want you to say this with me, others before self. Say it with me, others before self. What unites us together, what establishes the community is when we have this love that says, say it with me, others before self. Uh, That is the portrait that Jesus displayed. John 15, verse 13, Jesus said, uh, no greater love is anyone than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. That is the definition of love by which Jesus lived and died and was raised from the dead. It is a love of sacrifice for sinners, not people who have it all together, not best, not even best friends, but Jesus died for the sake of the lost and the hostile toward God. That is sacrifice. That That's the way we are called to love one another. We are called to love others the way Jesus has loved us. Uh, Jesus died for sinners on a cross, others before self. This kind of love tells us to prioritize the needs of others over our own needs. I want you to let that sink in. This this kind of love that becomes the glue of our church is where each one of us and collectively we prioritize the needs of others over our own needs or wants or preferences. It's where we prioritize the other above ourselves. You might say, well, where in Scripture is that found, preacher? Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others more important than yourself. Let each one of you look out not only for his own interests, but the interests of others. Yeah, that's, that's part of the Bible. That's how we're supposed to love. In relationship in the church, in relationship with one another, in relationship with people around us, we are to put others before self. We prioritize the needs of others above our own needs. 
If you want a crash course on what uh, this kind of love is supposed to do in relationship in the church and why it's the glue that holds us together, just go down to that sweet little wedding passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Love suffers long and is kind. Love is not puffed up. It doesn't boast. It is not rude. It does not seek its own. It goes on and on and on. Love that is the glue for the church, and I would contend the glue for your family and the glue for your relationships, that love is not just the feel-good kind of love, oh, he makes me feel so good. It is a love where I determine I will pay the price, others before self. We experience community through this love, this love that Jesus displayed when he died for sinners upon a cross to give us new life through faith in him. That's the kind of love that we're supposed to have for one another. That's the kind of love that makes us stronger together. When the love of Jesus in our lives for, toward one another marks who we are, we grow stronger together. Have you noticed none of this is growing stronger by being smarter? Can, can I humbly suggest that in church life what we've done is we have, we have replaced uh, the real measures that lead us to grow stronger by these measures that are more comfortable to us. If I can memorize enough Scripture passages, nothing wrong with that, I do it all the time, but if I can, if I can know enough stuff, then I'm going to be stronger. Now, certainly information is important, but information without the courage in community that we need, information without the love that establishes that community, well, that's just a clanging symbol. We experience community through love. And then finally, which seems out of place, Jesus is our greatest treasure. Now, if you've been with me for any period of time, maybe just these few weeks that we've been online, um, uh, or, or for the 17 years I've been here, you know that number three doesn't sound like something I would normally put. Because I like symmetry in my points. So we find courage in community, and then second point, it sounds it has symmetry to it. We experience community through love. Doesn't that sound kind of, you know, it kind of flows, right? But number three, it doesn't have community, love, or through in it at all. It just says Jesus is our greatest treasure. Now, why would I uh, uh, go so different on this point? Because... We need to be shaken a little bit to understand that the only treasure that gives us fullness of life is Jesus Christ. Now listen to what Paul writes. He says, <clears throat> attaining, this verse 2, last part of verse 2, attaining to all, uh, to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. A British treasure hunter, a guy named Dave Crisp, went searching for treasure in, in, in southwest England, and he had gotten some tips, and he had done his research, and he got his metal detector, and he began to look in a field in southwest England. He was looking for that treasure the one that would make him wealthy. And, and up to this point, he had found trinkets here and there, but he was hoping for the big find. And sure enough, 
he found it. He located a pot that held 52,000 coins. These ancient silver and bronze coins dated to the third century AD. They weighed more than 350 pounds, and they were worth more than $5 million. Now, you and I, we've been on treasure hunts before, maybe not for money, maybe it's for a life of satisfaction. We've been on treasure hunts before, and some of us are on a quest right now to find a satisfied life, to find uh, understanding or perspective. And I'm here to tell you, and God's uh, Word is here to tell you today that the treasure that satisfies all aspect of your life, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, is the person of Jesus Christ. Our greatest treasure is Jesus. Now, where can we gain understanding to distinguish between what is true and what is false? His name is Jesus. Where can we obtain absolute assurance in the decisions we make? His name is Jesus. Where can we discover the only knowledge that is worth having that will lead us to a satisfied life? His name is Jesus. Where can we find the wisdom to navigate life to delightful destinations? His name is Jesus. The glorious mystery of God that he describes there in verse 2. This glorious mystery is his loving purpose to bring us who were distanced from him by our sin, to bring us into his family through Jesus. Christ. All of us are separated from God, lost and hopeless in this world. But God sent Jesus to build a bridge between sinners like you and me and a holy God. He is our life. He is our sustenance. He is our satisfaction. He is the one who gives us hope. He is the one who brings us joy. He is the one who leads us into wisdom and understanding. We need Jesus more than anything else in the whole world, we need Jesus. He is our greatest treasure. And when Jesus is the greatest treasure of this church and of my life, then we will grow stronger together. We will have community glued together by love that Jesus has taught us, and we will experience courage in the community that he has established. My prayer for us today is Paul's prayer for his followers in that day, for Christ's followers in that day. I pray, I pray, I agonize that we would grow stronger together. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Whether you're in person or online, I invite you today if you're uncertain about your relationship with God, if you're uncertain that you have come into a relationship with God through faith in Christ, I invite you today to cry out to Jesus, to come to Him by faith, to turn from your sin, and to see Jesus for who He really is. When we see Jesus for who He really is, we see that He is the Son of God who became a baby. He is fully God, and he became a man. And he lived his life sinlessly, and he went to a cross to die for sinners like you and me. In our place, he took the punishment that our sin demanded upon himself. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead. 
so that through Jesus, we have a chance at forgiveness and a new life. To come to Jesus, we need to see him for who he really is, and we need to see ourselves for who we really are. We are sinners separated from God. We don't just have little problems in our life. We are sinners separated from God, all of us. Every person who's ever taken a breath except for Jesus Christ is a sinner separated from God. And there's nothing we can do to bridge the chasm that our sin has created. We can't be good enough or religious enough or go to church enough to bridge the distance between us and God that our sin has created. But Jesus can and did. When Jesus died for our sin and our place upon a cross, he paid the price that our sin demanded so that when we trust in Jesus, we can walk across the bridge that he has built into the family of God. And friends, that is your deepest need and mine, to be brought into friendship and family with the God of the universe. And Jesus is the only way. So today, if you have yet to place your trust in Jesus, I invite you right now to call upon him. You see him for who he is. You see yourself for who you are. So what can you do about it today? Even in your heart, you sense that rumbling of your spirit, longing to be part of God's family. You sense that deep uncertainty about life that is built in in the darkness of your soul, and you long for the emptiness to go away. You need Jesus. Are you ready to take him today? Are you ready to take hold of him by faith and repentance? The Bible says that if we will believe on Jesus, what that means, do we believe that Jesus paid the price for my sin and that that he was raised from the dead and and his, his loving sacrifice is sufficient to forgive me? His resurrection promises me a brand new life. Will you place your faith in Jesus? Trust him. Will you turn away from every other thing that you've looked at to satisfy yourself? I mean, turn away. The the supreme source of satisfaction is Jesus. He is now your greatest treasure. If you're ready to make that commitment of your life, then I invite you to call upon the name of the Lord. That's what the Bible says, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. We can be rescued. If we will call upon his name, we can be saved. We can be rescued. How do we call upon the name of the Lord? We do it through prayer. There's nothing magical about the prayer I'm about to pray, but if it is the desire of your heart, if the words I pray are a reflection of your heart's desire and you pray them, the Bible says that this wondrous transaction of God's loving grace happens in you. That... He takes away the guilt and stain of your sin, and he replaces it with the righteousness of Jesus. You're covered in the rescuing love that he's made available to you. So if you're ready to escape the darkness and the death that your sin has created in your own soul, and you're ready to taste the new life that he offers, that God offers through faith in Christ, I invite you to pray this prayer. Oh, God... I admit that I'm a sinner and that my sin has separated me from you. 
and I can't fix it on my own. I believe that Jesus is your son, that you sent him to rescue a sinner like me, that he lived a sinless life, and yet he died a sinner's death. He, he died in my place for my sin upon a cross. And after he died, you raised him from the dead so that today you offer me forgiveness for sin that lasts forever and a new life that begins right now. So I confess that Jesus is my only hope. And I commit my life to you, O God. I ask you right now, will you rescue me? Based upon what Jesus has done, will you rescue me? Thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you for giving me new life. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I just want to encourage you, uh, whether you're online or in person, encourage you to text Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to the number on the screen, or uh, you can email pastor at firstnorfolk.org. Let us know that you have crossed that line of faith to become a follower of Jesus, and we will help you in these next steps so that you live in the power of that new life that God has given you.